stargazers. My name is Athena Brunsberger. I'm your host of Space Talk. Welcome back to episode two. I decided that for this one, we should probably deep dive into some of the basics. I think that the these beginning episodes will be really useful to kind of go into more of the sort of like more so basic terminology and, and understandings when it comes to uh, navigating the night sky and of course doing stargazing. So I figured something that we'll get into a lot is we're always going to be referencing the magnitude scale when talking about different objects that are visible in the night sky. So I decided let's jump into talking about the difference between absolute magnitude and apparent magnitude. Now, apparent magnitude is typically the what I am referring to when I mention that you know Jupiter is at a uh, magnitude of 1.8, or when I talk about like how bright an object is, um, so its visibility. Apparent magnitude is how bright an object looks as seen from Earth. So that's that's tip number one is how bright an object looks as seen from Earth. So that's apparent magnitude. And the reason it's super important is because our eyes have limitations to what we can see. And so to give you a little bit of perspective when it comes to the numbers, the sun is in the negative magnitude section. So if we're looking at apparent magnitude, it's on a number line. So picture a number line going starting at zero, which is right in the middle. And in one direction, it has negative numbers. In the other direction, it has positive numbers. This might be a little contradicting, contra contradictory, but the negative numbers imply that the object is brighter. So the sun is about a negative 25 or 26 on the, apps, on the um, apparent magnitude scale. So the sun's really, really bright, right? When we see it like, during the day, don't look right at it, but it's bright enough for it, it lights up our whole planet whenever it's facing a certain area of the planet. And so the night sky, the full moon, so picture the full moon in your head, that's about a negative 11 on the magnitude scale. So now you can really start to sort of see, okay, the sun's a negative like 25, the full moon's about a negative 11. Then where is our limit that our eyes can see? So kind of going dimmer, Venus, which we mentioned is going to be visible all this week, is usually at about a, a negative five magnitude, negative five. So now we're getting closer to zero. The limit in which our eye can see is about a positive eight, about a positive eight. So there will be, whenever you look maybe at an astronomy magazine, it'll have the a little plus symbol in front of a number. And this is usually the apparent magnitude scale. So again, it's how bright a celestial object looks as seen from earth. So uh, when we look at like different objects uh, that are visible, say like this upcoming week, or when I get into talking about um, like the Pleiades open star cluster, that is almost borderline where our, our limit is, that of what we can see. Uh, but the Pleiades uh, has actually been visible all month, all of November and now all of December. It's a gorgeous star cluster. It's also known as the Seven Sisters. Here's a little fun fact. Um, if anyone knows about the car brand Subaru, 
their logo is the Seven Sisters. Uh, in fact, I think Subaru in Japanese means the Seven Sisters. So they were named after the Pleiades star cluster, which is pretty cool. And uh, so it's an open star cluster. You can see them, seven stars all pulled and held together by their gravity. So gravitationally bound. And so that that's kind of a little bit of a limit as far or as a little description as far as apparent magnitude goes um, and the apparent magnitude scale. Um, oh, yeah. One more thing I'm going to mention, too, is Polaris, which is or right now is our north star. Um, that's about it's almost at our limit of the of the unaided eye. So our eye without binoculars or a telescope. And that's at just about um, a positive five. So a picture like a plus between like it varies between about a plus four to a plus five. So that's something to keep in mind. But now absolute magnitude. This is the brightness of a celestial object as seen from a standard distance of 10 parsecs. That's a new word for us, parsecs. Um, but before we get into that unit, um, when we say standard distance, what do we mean? Well, think about if, um, say, someone is really, really tall, but they're standing kind of far away from you. Say, like, in, you're in their backyard, and there's, you have, a, you have um, that really tall person. They're maybe six, six foot five but they're standing kind of far away. You might not be able to really tell just how tall they are. But then you have, say, a shorter person who's maybe 4'11", but they're standing much closer to you. You have a better gauge of just how tall they are because they're located closer. But sometimes the height of them, and if that person who's really tall, a six foot five person is far enough back, if you actually were to look at them head on, they might actually look about the same height because one person's closer, one person is further. But you know that you have to be able to put them next to each other to know who's taller and who is shorter, what their actual height is. It's a similar thing with stars and other objects. So when I say celestial objects, I also mean galaxies. I also mean uh, globular clusters, um, so big, massive, old star clusters. I also mean um, quasars and planets. So any object that you can imagine on the celestial sphere in space. And so you want to be able to put it at the same distance, a standard distance. So what this means now, when I say 10 parsecs, that is approximately 32.6 light years. Now we have another term. So this, this basically went from being an absolute and apparent magnitude episode to now going a little bit more into the definitions of some basic terms you'll hear uh, throughout this podcast, but also too just in the field of astronomy. And a light year is the time it takes for um, for, for the speed of light to move in one year. So the distance in which it travels from point A to point B, and it's moving at the speed of light, how long does it take to get from one point to the other uh, when moving at this constant speed? Uh, break that down a little bit. The speed of light is constant. Light is always moving at the same speed, which is about 300 million meters per second. Uh, let's try, let's, I'll have us, I'm going to break this down a little bit. We'll wrap our mind around how big this number is. 300 million meters per second. It's a huge number. 
what I usually like to try and uh, do to, to, to sort of break this down for people is uh, look at a doorknob near you somewhere. So find a door and look at a doorknob. Most doorknobs are located about one meter off of, from the floor. So about one, that's about one meter. So if you took a meter stick, it's approximately the height of a doorknob. Imagine in one second that you can travel 300 million of these doorknobs in one second. That's how fast light moves. So imagine if you take 300 million of these doorknob heights, line them all up, you have to be able to get from one end of the 300 million doorknobs to the other in one second. That would be you moving at the speed of light. Now, unfortunately, it hasn't been possible yet with our technology to have humans move at that speed uh, because, well, we are physical matter. And when we reach that point, we would probably be broken down into pure energy form. So we wouldn't even have our atoms that make up our body. So imagine now moving at the 300 million meters per second. That is you moving in one light year. So this now imagine moving at that speed at, what did I say before? It Was it the 10 parsecs was the 32.6 light years. So you'd have to move at that speed with light for approximately 32.6 light years. So that would now be our standard distance to figure out just how bright an object actually is. So if we take those two objects, just like the two people I mentioned, so imagine you have one person who's six foot five and a person who's 4'11", you put them at that standard distance. Now you can see their true height. Similarly, with celestial objects, we wanna put them at a standard distance. Once we're able to, to estimate that, and we're able to then take those observations and then calculate just how bright they are, how bright these objects are, that you've now found is the absolute magnitude. So that's a little bit of a breakdown of the difference between apparent magnitude, so how bright a celestial object is seen from Earth versus absolute magnitude, how the brightness of a celestial object when it's at a standard distance. So, um, Again, this, these are these are a couple terms that I will be using quite a lot when moving forward, especially when we're talking about what vis what's visible and what you can go outside and see when stargazing. Um, so that is um, th that is that is that. That's basically what I wanted to to cover in this stream um, or in this in this podcast. I do see that Cheyenne just joined. Hello, hello. If you'd like to join the call, um, just click on the button below that says "Call In," and I'd love. Oh, I would love to have you on um, if you want to chat about anything. So hello, Lauren. Hello, Mario. And hello, Olivia. Mario, also, I believe I know who you are. If you are Mario Gutierrez, hello. If you want to join and say hi, that would be awesome as well. Um, so let's see. And Olivia, same goes for you if you'd like to join. I do have one thing I wanted to mention is that my counter at the bottom left um, is has not, um, it's it stopped. So it's stuck right now at 0.58 seconds um, or zero, zero and then a colon and then 58 seconds. So just so you know, it is, uh, the counter is not, um, not counting. Okay. Awesome. Just got a thumbs up. Sweet. So that was um, a little bit of a breakdown of these two these two definitions. 
Um, and this is really important just for, for fundamental astronomy. Um, whenever you're looking for objects, you want to be able to know the difference between their brightnesses. Um, let's see. I wanted to sort of give you all a little bit of a, a sneak peek of what's to come next week for must celestial events. Um, as I mentioned, um, something that we're going to hear a lot as well as not just the the magnitude scale, but also degrees. This, this concept of degrees when it's used for locating objects in the night sky is really important. So um, you can actually build your own astrolabe at home if you'd like. Um, otherwise, you can always just use your fist. Our, um, our, the size of our fist is like the perfect size basically to be able to uh, calculate where things are in the night sky because it's about a distance of 10 degrees from, so if you hold out your fist directly uh, in front of you, I went over this in episode one a bit, um, but I'm going, going over it again because um, we have a few objects for next week that are visible uh, that are just degrees apart. And so you'll be able to see it probably on your own, but again, holding out your fist at the horizon, that is already at the zero degree at the horizon. You move it just up where the, the base of the horizon is at, say, your thumb. So if you're holding your fist out with me right now, you're the bottom of your thumb bone, your thumb knuckle, that's the zero. The 10 degrees is right at the top of where your knuckles are. So your index finger or your middle finger knuckle will probably be the highest bumps on your fist when you're holding it out. And that will be your 10 degree mark. Then if you stack your fist on top of where it just was, you're now at 20 degrees. 30 degrees, 40, so on and so forth. And you keep moving it up until your arm is directly overhead where it's 90 degrees and it's parallel to your head. So that's a little bit of a tip um, because next week we have really cool alignments when the moon is now starting to move into its first quarter phase. So this weekend, the moon is going to be in its new moon phase. So perfect timing to go outside and do some deep sky object observing such as um, yeah, catching very dim objects like galaxies or uh, different nebulae and also the Milky Way. The Milky Way is, this is the perfect time to catch it is when um, the, the moon is in its new moon phase. But next week, as it starts to enter its first quarter, we're going to see it smack in the middle between Saturn, Jupiter, and Venus. They're all going to be right next to each other, and especially when the moon is still in a thin crescent. So it's going to be really cool. Uh, this will all be at the beginning of next week, um, and they're only going to be about three degrees apart, and then moving into about 5.5 degrees below Saturn, and then about seven degrees below Jupiter. Um, so again, you hear those terms, degrees. Just think about... Um, that distance in which we learn when we when we hold our arm out and our hand our hand is in the shape of a fist. So always keep that in mind. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and pause right here because I see that we have a caller request from Mario. All right, Mario, I have just invited you in. How are you? Uh, hi. Yes. Can you hear me? I hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. So good to hear from you. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, I am tomorrow that you that you were talking about. Yeah. I I, I am. Him. Oh, oh, awesome! Yeah, so good to hear you on here. How you doing? Yeah. Uh, just just chilling, you know, living life. Yeah. You? Nice. Awesome. Awesome. So, what what can I do for you? What's up? 
Oh, yeah. So um, something that you mentioned about that using your fist as a measure for degrees, um, something interesting I read about that. Um, some people might be skeptical about that because they think, oh, well, but there's such a huge variation in people's hand sizes. So how, how can we use that as a metric? But remember, people who have bigger fists also tend to have longer arms. So their their arm extends further outward. So it can maintain that proportionality. I thought that was pretty interesting when I read it and everybody thought about that. That's great. You know, I have thought about that. Actually, I definitely have because I remember trying it um, with, yeah, like, like, like little kids trying it before. And I was like, oh, yeah, their arms are a lot shorter and their fists are certainly smaller. So when I learned about this in my first astronomy class, um, they were saying it was based on like the average adult um, arm length. So our wingspan and then also um, our fist size. And you're right, that does vary. Um, it even varies just between men and women. Um, but generally, it's I believe it was off by maybe like half a degree, a half a degree difference, which is important for sure if you're trying to maybe line up your telescope. Um, but for for typically stargazing without any instruments, it's roughly the right amount of size to to kind of gauge where exactly exactly these different objects are. But I'm glad you brought that up because that is, that is definitely something that for sure does vary um, between individuals. Um, but it varies on a, on a small enough scale where um, it'll still get you in the right area of the sky. So I hope that that was a little bit, a little bit of something maybe you read as well. Did you read that too? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Where, where did you read it? And was it one of the astronomy magazines? Uh, oh, it was in a book I read a long time ago. Yeah, because like in the third grade. Like just like stargazing book, yeah. Because my in third in my elementary school had this entire section of just astronomy, and like uh -huh. by the end of the year of like third grade, I read the whole section like three times over. So yeah, I'm pretty pretty familiar with what was on there. Wow, oh that's so that's so cool. Was this your first ever space book that you picked up, and how did you get into uh, interested in space? Oh yeah, you know what? Actually, it was in third grade. Yeah, and it was in that library. And it was because of that section. Um, wow. Yeah, once a week, our teacher would, uh, would take us to the library. We would just pick out a book. And then the next week, we turn and just pick out a new one. You know, that was like the system that we had. And at first, I didn't really think about it. You know, I just an excuse to get out of classroom to walk around somewhere. So I just, yeah. I didn't really care which book. So I just picked one out of random. And it was, um, it was this book on, uh, it was this book on Mars. And, I think the first section was uh was this like was like this like big picture type you know how like oh this is Earth and this is the source and this is the galaxy and it just keeps on building up that scale. Yeah, and uh -huh. I just loved it. I loved it. Like I saw it and I saw this vast space. I, just, I felt the need to know more, and I just really loved it. And I held that passion for learning about the cosmos, and that's carried me like throughout the years, like years, years after third grade. I still love it, and that's how I started in third grade. With that one, with that one book, I fell in love instantly. Wow! Oh my gosh, you have me like I'm smiling so big right now yeah. because that is just such an amazing, an amazing story. I believe we've talked about that before because I, I do remember you mentioning this this book. Um, I thought it is so so yeah. cool. Um, I think that that's like what really starts yeah. to um, introduce yeah, the 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 field of space and space exploration or astronomy to yeah. so many individuals. It's, it's usually a book. And that's cool that it happened in third grade for you. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you yeah. for asking. Yeah. I believe you had like a similar story. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you were like, it was also a book. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a Hubble telescope, Hubble Space Telescope. Like I've been still trying to find that one. Um, I found a few, but I can't exactly remember what the one was that I picked up when I was in seventh grade. So a little bit, a little more years after oh, you. But yeah, yeah. Oh, same, same. Like I wish I could, I could find that book. You know what? I've really thought about just like going to like middle school and asking, "Hey, could I just look through your library?" Because I would love it if I could see that book again. But you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be so cool. But I hope you get to find that book. Any any Mars book, we'll just have to like, <laughs> we'll just let the finest send it, send it to the Mars man, Mario. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for joining, yeah. joining the call. Yeah. I'm so happy you're here too on this app. And hopefully maybe you'll start your own podcast too. And I'd love to listen to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ho- hopefully one day, uh, you know, people are willing to listen. For sure. I definitely yeah. think people are. Yeah. Awesome. Right. Well, thank you, Mario. Thanks yeah. for coming on. Yeah. Oh, can I just say one one more thing? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, in reference to what you said in your last podcast, how you said uh, Columbia University in New York has like this like system where you can go and see like they have like public te- public telescope viewings. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Outreach. Um, mm-hmm. in LA for those that are LA based, there's actually UCLA actually has a very similar system. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, every Wednesday, I believe it's eight or nine p.m. I forgot. Um, they do have like this like obs- mini observatory on the roof of the Mass Scientist Building, and yeah, they have like the the astronomy club. Yeah, uh, at UCLA, puts on really great shows. I've been I've been to one. Yeah. I haven't been as often as I want to, but yeah, I've been to one. They're really cool. And actually, the VP of events actually is a really good friend of mine. So, and I can attest that you know she really likes doing this stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Are you, um, are you, have you ever like, you've been to them in person out there at UCLA? Yeah. I used to be a student at UCLA. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just hopped on their website right now to try and catch when the next event might be. Are, do you happen to yeah. know or? Uh, I, I definitely recommend checking because I know for a fact that UCLA is in finals right now. So that and because it's student run, that tends to, you know, kind of mess up the right. system. Yep. And also I do know that there are sometimes because the, Observatory is very packed based on like the, they're sometimes worried they haven't had shows often due to COVID. And yeah, okay, yeah, I right. do. Oh my God. I, the one I wish I could have gone, they actually, yesterday, on um, Wednesday, they actually had like a special one just for the James Webb Space Telescope because it's like the month lunch. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. What is the update with James Webb? Do you happen to know when is the next when is the the next project, pro, pro, projected launch date? Because I know that's been getting pushed quite a lot. Yeah, I believe I believe it's December twenty two. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it is. Just, yeah, December twenty two. Yeah, like like, or what was it? Uh, like a latch like broke off or like it it did some unexpected action where it sent vibrations. With uh, yeah. Oh gosh, that sounds terrible. Oh, oh no. my god, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yo, <laughs> when, when, when is James Webb gonna launch finally? They're already starting to make yeah, t shirts that say I, like oh like like meme t shirts, like yeah. waiting for this launch to happen because it's been postponed for anyone who doesn't know about the James Webb Space Telescope. It's gonna be like the new frontier for the Hubble Space Telescope, so a whole new way of imaging. Yeah. And the 
it's the launch date has been postponed so many times for I think probably the past like three to four years now. Um, it's it's been it's been postponing a lot, and so um, of course I get it. It's a very sensitive piece of equipment. They want to make sure it's in tip top shape for launch. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, fingers crossed, December twenty second, yeah. it'll it'll be happening. That would be so cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I almost almost got the chance to see it in person. I almost did. Because mm-hmm. I have a friend of mine who, who works at Monster, and while he didn't, while his job was, while his job was like separate from the James Webb, like since then, like his task was done, so they didn't have access to him more. He did say that maybe he could talk to a few people, you know, see if I'm getting in. Yeah, but around that time wow. is when it was revealed that had already been sent to French Guiana because, like, you know, how like it was classified to prevent, yeah, to prevent pirates. So by the yeah. time that happened, it was already done, and he he didn't know either because I think it was classified from him. So yeah, wow. Jeez. Well, I, I, whenever it does happen, I, I'm really excited for yeah. that. I know that it's, yeah, it's pretty tough to go to French Guiana for the launch. It's funny. I was just talking about French Guiana about like 20 minutes ago, uh, right before starting the podcast. So I want to share a little bit of, of that on that story. But um, before then, Mario, do you have anything else you'd like to say before, before you head out? Yeah. Oh yeah. One more thing. Um, just yes. if you have time, maybe uh, I have a question me you know if at the end of the podcast oh it's so up. i like hearing this perspective a lot of people what do you think is the difference between astronomy and astrophysics <laughs> i have to stand with my mentor here dr charles Liu, um and also too i'd have to stand with neil degrasse tyson their perspective of it it's basically it's, it basically comes down to when you're sitting on an airplane and someone asks you what you do, do you want to have a conversation with them or not? If you say astronomer, they'll probably want to talk to you about your zodiac sign. If you say astrophysicist, they'll they'll probably leave you alone for some reason. <laughs> and I, I, it's, it's a pretty like relevant joke, um, only because they're it fundamentally is studying the, the universe in, in its entirety. Yeah. Um, so it is one of the same, two of the same. They, it was literally an interchangeable term. It's just a matter of, I would say, using the term whenever, yeah, like well, whatever you'd like, basically. Um, I would say because, yeah. well, again, being uh, an astronomer, being an astrophysicist, that is something that you're, you're doing research regardless in the field. Um, and you're, there's amateur astronomers, which will typically be like in the backyard, doing making your own observation gathering data, even submitting citizen science research to like the SETI Institute or NASA, which is a great path, by the way, I think a lot of people will do um, that are it's when this is more of a hobby for them. But yeah, I, I fundamentally don't see those two terms as anything different from each other. That's my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, what? that's a pretty good definition. The, the one about the plane, I think I'm gonna use that because you know, I definitely feel it sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, at, at UCLA, amongst STEM, astrophysics is one of the least popular majors, which surprised me. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's just, it, it's a matter of, um, you know, of interest. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's funny that that's something that's maybe not as uh, popular maybe at that university, but it might just be because there's other departments that um, tend to be maybe like more well-known amongst a lot of students. So people will tend to want to go towards those. Like I think the earth sciences is like really big at UCLA um, and a few of the other departments. I'm not too familiar with the, like the the different departments that are like most trending with students there. 
but it, it varies. I, I, and I totally get that. Um, my, my college, it also wasn't the, the most prominent, uh, prominent major either. But yeah, yeah. All right. You know, well, Mario, yeah. thank you so much oh, well, for joining me. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So glad we got to chat. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So take care. If anyone else wants to join for sure, um, anytime you can always just click the, the call in button. Um, but I am going to sign off. But before I do, I did want to just mention the Columbia outreach since that did come up. If anyone's in New York City and wants to go, their next event is, um, oh wait, sorry, that was October 15th. Never mind. Their last event was October 15th. But if you head to their website, they do have their calendar on there, as well as uh, what Mario's mentioning, UCLA, their Division of Astronomy and Astrophysics. They have outreach applications, which is really cool. So if you're in LA and you want to get involved in that, you actually can apply. I see that right now on um, astro.ucla.edu. They have um, a page that says outreach applications. So you can always apply. Um, and of course, there and also Columbia University, they have their calendar page and events page. So I think that would be really cool for you to attend the next one. Um, and maybe, again, if you're a researcher, maybe you can actually give a talk at one of these events. Um, so that's about everything I wanted to cover. There are a ton of rocket launches happening, by the way. Just a little, um, I'd say like, expert tip as I, as I was a rocket launch chaser for a very long time. Um, if you haven't downloaded the app, it's a uh, space flight now. It's a really a space launch now. Sorry. Their website is space flight now, but space launch now they give updates all the time on rocket launches that are happening. And it's, it's, I'm like, I'm not sponsored by them just personally. That's one of my favorite apps. Um, and I use it all the time. So if you ever want to catch a rocket launch or find out what updates are happening, I would head to um, that app. And then one final note, which I forgot I was going to mention when we talked about French Guiana. Um, so, so cool. So James Webb would be launching on the Ariane 5 rocket. And um, Ariane Space and Ariane Group are an absolutely incredible division of um, ESA, the European Space Agency, that um, is based out of, out of France. They have incredible rockets now. And the Ariane 6 has... Uh, partly reusable um, boosters on it, which is really cool. And um, the James Webb will be launching on an Ariane 5. Um, I, I got to work with them for a little bit, um, covering some of their launches earlier the year before COVID. And I got to go to French Guiana. It was like in the Amazon. I mean, just imagine being in the Amazon jungle and a rocket launch is going off. It's truly phenomenal. And it's just seeing a launch in person is really, really breathtaking as well because it like kind of looks like a sunrise. It looks like just a bright ball is is lighting up the sky and starting to, you know, rise pretty quickly. Um, but my favorite part is once it starts to go up a little bit more, and then the sound travels, you feel the rumble. So you see it before you can even can hear it or feel the rumble from the launch, and it's such an incredible experience. So. Highly recommend if anyone out there can travel to like either Florida, the Cape, or um, down at SpaceX's new launch site in uh, Boca Chica, Texas. Or if you're able to somehow go to a Blue Origin launch in Van Horn, Texas, I think there's just so many cool launches happening. What else is there? Virgin Galactic's um, launch that would be out of uh, Spaceport America, which is in uh, New Mexico, outside of Albuquerque. And the last option is um, Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. 
also really great launch center um, if you ever want to catch a launch from there. So there's a few, there's a few other places too, but that, that, those are the big ones I'll mention for now, the least places I've been. Um, but yeah, well, thank you all so much um, for, for listening, for being here in episode two. Uh, I hope that you gained a little bit more insight on um, the difference between absolute and apparent magnitude and that you can be well prepared now when you head out and start stargazing and you're looking at the different brightnesses of objects. So once again, I'm Athena. This is Space Talk. Thank you so much for being here. And add Astra to the stars.